Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm Cater producer Leo Garcia, joined as always via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's show, we're talking the return of football in the TV space. That's right. Ted Lasso season two is back. Plus the Olympics on Peacock. They also have football. They do have football, Libby. Thank you for that transition. I actually pay for Peacock. I am not free cocking it as it will. Uh, I do pay for Peacock because they did have English Premier League soccer and I need to follow my beloved Everton. And they're the Snuggies? They're the Toffees. They're the Blues. They're also the Blues. Okay. But there's two Blues because there's there's Chelsea. Chelsea is also Blues. There's a lot of that. Yeah, uh, okay. Paul McCartney grew up an Everton fan as a child. McCartney 321, very good on Hulu. It is a millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. Guys, the Olympics are happening. They started last week. The the big thing, viewership is down by a lot. The opening ceremonies on Friday were viewed by 12.3 million viewers. That is a whopping 54% drop from the 26 million who watched the uh, 2016 opening ceremonies in Rio de Janeiro. Personally, as someone who does subscribe to Peacock, I have watched next to nothing. The three things I know that have happened at these Olympics are that apparently basketball is called uh, more fairly by the referees, not so many ticky-tack fouls on the stars, and that Simone Biles uh, did not compete in team events for the betterment of the team because she felt she wouldn't be at her best, and so she sat out purposefully. And the, the internet, you know, took that in stride. Ben... Question to you, what can you make of these viewership numbers? What what do you think is happening with the with the Olympics as it were? Uh, I mean, honestly, what I what I'd love to say is simply that more people are pivoting to streaming um and uh, that kind of explains how uh, the viewership numbers overall have decreased uh with the combined factor that most people don't know what Peacock is, uh nor do they know how to operate it. Um, I think the time zone actually plays a huge factor in this as well. 13-hour difference between Eastern Standard Time and what's going on in Tokyo makes it very difficult for sports fans to engage in stuff live, which is how, as Americans, we're trained to watch sports, uh, despite what some people do with soccer on Peacock, so I've been told. Um, but I'd also just say that I, I really think that the ratings are a pretty big signal to NBC that they need to do a lot of work with Peacock because it it did feel leading into the Olympics that they put a lot of advertising into letting people know that this was going to be the easiest way for you to watch the Olympic content that you wanted to watch, Uh, that there was going to be replays, there were going to be, you know, on-demand channels, there were going to be multiple live shows that did recaps and interviews and stuff like that, as well as exclusive content, you know, that's only available on Peacock, including uh, men's basketball, uh, I think gymnastics and swimming. I can't remember what the th- all three of the sports were. Um, the good ones. But, yeah. what? <laughs> right, a lot of the good ones. Speed so-called walking. good ones. 
Uh, I mean, I've enjoyed some water polo on Peacock so far, so that's been that's been fun. Uh, OC flashbacks, but one of the numbers that stood out to me from the early ratings reports was, uh, let's see, it says six hundred thirty six thousand people watched either via Peacock, NBCOlympics.com, or the NBC Sports app on Sunday for the Olympics, so the original, like the opening weekend. Uh, That's a 24% rise across digital platforms from Rio, from 2016, from five years ago. 20%, 24% rise in digital viewership is not good. I, I don't have a, 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 a metric to compare it to in theory, but uh, or, in, or in actuality, I should say, but 24% over five years does not come close to replicating the, the how many people have ditched cable and satellite, how many people have started watching stuff on streaming and gotten used to watching on streaming. That is not representative of the cord cutters. And considering you know that, that there is the time difference and that would shuttle more people to look for stuff online whenever they want to watch it, uh, that's just bad. That's just very, very bad. So I don't know what to think in the long run when it comes to Peacock. We'll let this play out. We'll see how it works. I will say that I've been very frustrated as a user trying to find things on Peacock as well as with the programming that they offer that's quote-unquote live. Um, but I'll leave that for a later analysis once I've kind of seen more of the games and experienced more of the stuff. But I will say that this early start is pretty rough. I don't think it necessarily reflects that there's a waning interest in the Olympics. I just think that it uh, more than anything tells us that Peacock as a streamer is not prepared to compete on any level for the streaming wars. Which or, is... Uh, dominance for people's interest which is sort of crazy because pre-pandemic the olympics was like the crown jewel in peacock's cap right to mix metaphors it it was sort of the the thing that they were sort of relying on to be like this is what is going to bring viewers to peacock is the olympics yeah and they i mean they originally wanted to launch with it and they've talked about that um i think before the olympics one of the people who works for peacock even went on the record saying that now it looks like you know this is to their advantage because they've had a lot of time to work out some of the kinks with the service to get it more prepared to handle the viewership demands as well as you know just be a a better representation of what they want the service to be and frankly if that's the truth then it's just it's just not in good enough shape to be a valuable streaming service even for five dollars a month even if it was all advertising only, I think I'd be too frustrated using this thing. I mean, the, the menu system, at least through my Apple TV, is a disaster. It's very hard to navigate. Finding the things that you're looking for specifically isn't easy to do. Uh, understanding the time schedules isn't easy. And some of the live programs that they've set up, uh, I, they're all called something fairly innocuous like Tokyo Live or Tokyo Tonight or whatever you want to say. It's got Kenny Main. Another one's got Rich Eisen like they don't even live up to kind of the classic sports center standard of of you know sports highlights especially if you're trying to watch them without already realizing what happened i don't feel like i'm getting added analysis i don't feel like i'm getting uh like served the things in 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 full so that i can appreciate the athletic achievements as they happen i feel like all they're doing is giving me highlight after highlight that i've already seen on repeat thinking that people are tuning into this uh, so that they can get like a quick glimpse and then immediately tune back out 
when in reality, they've got all those events on demand anyway, as well as all the little miniature two to three minute highlight clips on demand anyway. So you don't need a live show that's offering the same thing. You need a live show that's going to surface the stuff that people aren't already aware of, or at least provide a new perspective on it that they don't already have. And it's just not doing that. So I, I'm, a, I'm fairly frustrated as an Olympics viewer at this point. I'm going to give it some time to settle into the change, and maybe I'll be singing a new tune by the end. But uh, that's my experience. It doesn't matter. There are far more pressing issues related to the Olympics, uh, mainly stemming from how people are reacting to the Olympians. Yeah, Libby, I wanted to, to touch base with you. Probably the biggest story of the first weekend has been Simone Biles, arguably one of the greatest athletes of all time, pulling out mid-team competition after a, a, a vault that she didn't land correctly, citing you know her mental health as the reason. And you would think the internet would be okay with that. But no, I just wanted to, to get your opinion on, on the Simone Biles of it all. It, it's a frustrating one. Um, you know, Simone Biles, so what happened was during the team finals, she missed a vault and I believe shortly thereafter uh, withdrew from competition. What she has reported was happening in the process of her uh, performing uh, performing these gymnastic skills is something known as the twisties to gymnasts, which means that... Um, Basically, when you are performing these elaborate uh, skill sets with the twists and the turns and the flipping, it is hard to remember. It, 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 it's impossible to count where you are in the process. So, so much of that comes back to muscle, mer- muscle memory for an athlete. Um, in times of, of extreme stress, in, in times of extreme crisis, uh, 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 that can just fall out of your head. And, and while that's unfortunate, uh, with gymnastics, it can be very, very, very dangerous, uh, especially when you are attempting the otherworldly skills that Simone Biles, as we've seen in, in recent years, uh, has been able to attempt and successfully complete. It would be very easy for her to suffer a catastrophic injury if she continued to perform in a headspace where she could not tell where she was in the air. Um, so let's talk about the public perception of this because I think there's a lot of stuff getting confused. Um, you know, sports fans will tell you, well, oh, well, the twisties are like the yips. It's like, um, in TV shows, sometimes they talk about a a uh, a character who might suffer the yips, who fundamentally cannot perform an action that they've done hundreds of thousands of times before. Um, what is it like uh, throwing to first base, or 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 throwing the ball back to the pitcher, or you know, kicking uh, field goals, making kicking field or yeah, making field goals. There, there's a lot of psychological elements there. Mm-hmm. But this is this is more than the yips, I would say, because the level of 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 risk is so so high as far as injury goes. But also, it's not as easy as all of that. When we say someone has the yips, when when someone is unable to perform at the level of which we're accustomed, um, 
there's a lot of invisible things happening in their head that we couldn't possibly imagine. And especially when it comes to athletes and especially when it comes to young female athletes, uh, we don't really care. We want these teenagers to go out to perform on demand. Um, to do things that that 99% of the population in their wildest dreams could never do. And we have no concept of of the mental state that it takes to do so. And we have no idea what's happening in their lives, anything. This dovetails, like, weirdly with the fact that Naomi Osaka, who lit the cauldron on Friday's, uh, in Friday's opening ceremonies, she just, you know, withdrew from Wimbledon because she didn't want to uh, do the post the post game interviews and they were going to fine her a certain amount or they were going to make her do them. And so she just withdrew. She's like, if you're going to do this, like, I don't have to be a part part of this and and partake. Right. And citing again that the fact that like her mental uh, her mental health and wanting to make sure she's focused on the task at hand, which is right. winning tennis matches, not giving interviews after matches. Right. Right. And so then, uh, so yeah, these are these are dovetailing issues, and people were mad at Naomi Osaka for that too. They were mad she didn't want to talk to the press after a match. Uh, whereas, you know what? When you have anxiety, and you've just played on uh, one of the the premier courts in the world, like I, I would never want to be put in that position. And the fat thought that it's mandatory. Which, which brings me to the, oh, which, which reminds me of the whole other issues. Like, why ultimately are we making athletes talk to reporters, like, in the middle of, or why are we making coaches talk to reporters in the middle of the game? Why are we talking, making athletes talk to reporters after the game? Um, isn't it just enough that they, they play, they, like, they, they do their job? Um, but yeah, people get thrown by mental health because they do not understand what that phrase means. Uh, um, Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles have both made choices to protect the quality of their own life. Do you think that Simone Biles doesn't want to be performing at the Olympics? Like that she doesn't want to go out there and do her level best and show everyone that she's the greatest gymnast of all time? Yeah, she wants to do that. It's not lack of will that is stopping her. But she also wants to, you know, walk for the rest of her life. So uh, she doesn't want to go out there and, and break her neck. And that's her right. And that that athletes, that women are finally able to say, you know what, it's not worth it to me to, to put myself in a dangerous situation to entertain other people. I also think by, take, by also taking herself out of the individual, it shows, A, this is a serious thing that she can't just shake off. And B, that, that she's not being selfish. She's not only worried about this when it comes to a team medal. Like, she's worried about this when it comes to, you know, Olympic glory, her own crown, whatever. Like, and, and, and good for her, because I can, could never imagine the pressure she's under right now. The fascinating thing is whether people can or want to or not, this is all happening on television. Like, we can see these events as they unfold. And because of that, we're able to have these conversations and uh, our conversation has been positive. That's not, the same. that's not the, the, what the conversation has been otherwise. And that's why it's important to, to counteract all of that messaging um, and be discussing that. But yeah, I think there have been a lot of films, a lot of television that, that talk about that, that have started to get into the psychological burden of 
of performance on demand insofar as athletics go. And and Well, Libby, your point about the yips, not the yips, Steve Blass disease. I don't know who that is. I'm Steve Blass was up. a Steve Blass was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, I believe, uh, left-handed, who at a certain point in his career could not throw home. It's the same thing that befell Rick okay, Ankeel yeah. of the Cardinals. You want to talk about athlete? Like Rick Ankeel was a stud pitcher, could not throw home, could not hit the strike zone, went back to the minors and became an outfielder. <laughs> like re- fashioned himself a position player and was able to make it back to the major leagues as an outfielder. And I think he had 20-some homers one year. Pretty impressive. Maybe the Brains first- are wild, man. Maybe, maybe the first Shohei Otani, if they had given him a chance, if he could have kept throwing strikes. A lot of baseball talk up top. But essentially, Ted Lasso returned, season two, and a lot of the things you were just speaking about, Libby, are on display in, in at least the first episode of season two. And I think moving forward, it's not not in spoiler territory that the, the, the team is going to be undergoing some therapeutic uh, from uh, the new team therapist that Higgins has brought on, Leslie. But yeah, uh, first I just want to get your opinions on the premiere from season two. You know, obviously Ted Lasso season one was a revelation. It, I've, I've described it as the balm that maybe we all needed in 2020. Maybe nothing could be the balm, but Ted Lasso came closest. And so there was a lot of hype coming back. What did you guys think of the premiere of, of the second season? I hated it. Okay. Um, fair, fair, I fair. Did. Like, I, I, I didn't, but I hated the, the, the cold open. Uh, okay. Like, if I had to come oh. up with... Libby... All great programs have to start their seasons at least once by killing a dog. Uh, yeah, Spoiler alert, a, if you a, haven't watched Ted Lasso season two. A death blow to the head to a beloved animal is, is definitely how I want to get back into the feel-good hit of 2020. Yeah, it's, it's, it is unbelievably dark. And it's, it's really difficult because it's hard to... It's hard to separate from yourself it's hard to keep yourself on the light head lasso sort of uh vibe after mm-hmm. that happens because they want to just go right keep keep doing their thing and that's fine it just took me a little longer to catch up but as i was able to slowly recover um from that great shock it it was a it was a very solid it was a very solid premiere and it set up a lot introduces what is is likely to be the main story engine and conflict for the season which is a new member of the the team uh, a sports psychologist or a psychologist named uh, Dr. Sharon who is brought on specifically to counsel Danny Rojas after the unfortunate incident and spoiler uh, uh, Stace and and uh, will be will make her services available to the whole of the team and as the season progresses we see how how that changes and and yeah Leo you made a really great observation um yeah i I think uh the introduction man yeah i think the introduction of uh sarah niles as as sharon dr dr sharon fieldstone uh is uh going to serve as sort of a a gateway to therapy for a lot of the dude bros who love ted lasso and i think like to connect it to what you're saying in the clicker libby like you have all these like toxic men typically on the internet who are going to bemoan the Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka's for, you know, taking these mental health breaks. I think a lot of these people's eyes are going to be opened to like, oh, this is something that exists probably in some of the most, uh, the biggest sports clubs in the world. And that therapy is, is a betterment tool that everyone can use. And I think seeing, you know, the cast 
of of Ted Lasso, you know, one by one, uh, potentially sort of better themselves over a season. I I haven't seen the whole season. I I as the Rube have somehow gotten my hand on three episodes. But I, but I will say that it's not giving anything away to be like, Dr. Sharon is going to stick around. And the presumption, me and from my root perspective, something I have not seen, this is a guess, is that she will eventually land on Ted and we will sort of see him deal with the demons that he is obviously struggling with or has struggled with in, in season one. The things that led him to have that panic attack uh, outside of the karaoke club in Liverpool. Like the, these are the things that I think this show is sort of like, it's a little bit of like a, a Trojan horse for all these people that like, I love sports. I love football. I love comedy. This is a show about therapy now. This is in treatment. What is happening? And I think like that is on its face, really great. The hope is that people watching this are able to become more empathetic, are able to take something from it. And, and, and that in four years, whatever, athletes be they uh women or men might take a break for mental health reasons that the toxicity online won't be as as vociferous that it'll be as uh, uh, it'll be a minority of people and granted it probably is a minority of people now but that they'll be probably shouted down by a majority that is has seen that like mental health is important that everyone needs it thanks to the likes of, of ted lasso but that might, I might be reading too much into it. Are you trying to tell me that, that men didn't pick up this lesson after uh, all those seasons of The Sopranos? They didn't learn that that was maybe something that they should invest in for their betterment? I, I would argue that, that Tony, while, while Tony, <laughs> while Tony definitely was listening, I'm not sure how much he was able to change. I think maybe, maybe there was too much, there, there was too much, uh, it had been too long without uh, having all those those demons dealt with. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think that one of the interesting things to me about that, uh, obviously, <laughs> unimportant comparison and, and frivolous uh, joke, is just that it, it did feel like before, at that time when The Sopranos was airing, like, if you were going to therapy, like, you'd have to be a mob doctor. Like, if you were a man in America, it's like, yeah, you'd, you'd have to be a part of the mob who's really fucked up. So, like, obviously, of course, you need therapy. And now we've reached a point where it's like, no, 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 a coach who's very happy and very positive can benefit from therapy. These players can benefit from therapy. These people who are, you know, well-adjusted members of society can benefit from therapy. I do think that, like, with, you know, again, working under the presumption that that Ted will seek out a little bit of help from Dr. Sharon, um, it is worth mentioning that, like, he has a very clear physical symptom and that could be another thing where it's like, well, of course he needs it. He's got these panic attacks that he's got to deal with. But if he didn't have the panic attacks, he wouldn't need this, which isn't necessarily true, uh, which just frankly isn't true. Um, but I, I, I too, what I admire about the second season, especially in this regard, is that they knew how successful they were when they were renewed. Uh, they knew how quickly they had to turn around a new season and they also were tasked with adding two episodes to the season because Apple just needed more Ted Lasso to keep subscribers happy. And they still set the bar very, very high for themselves, uh, not only in the tone, which I think is at its most imbalanced in that premiere, like the opening with the dog, as well as the dream sequence with the cartoon dog. That kind of hints at maybe some of the harder, darker elements that the season will tackle uh, while the rest of the episode is, you know, doubling down on a lot of 
last year's favorite little bits and moments uh i mean the whole premise of the first episode is is you know football is life no football is death we're gonna say that sixteen thousand times because people liked it in the first season and we'll do that with everything uh so they haven't quite struck the balance but as someone who's been lucky enough to see ahead they find that balance very quickly and they're able to dial in on this very important subject that hopefully will open some doors, as you were saying, to a lot of people who are watching, who are already addicted to Ted Lasso, who might see this in a different light. Um, and yeah, I think they do it very, very well without losing the comedic elements that made it so addictive in the first place. Uh, I don't. I disagree with some of the critics out there who say like this is a funnier season than the first season. I think it's exactly the same kind of comedy, level of comedy, whatever you want to call it. Um, I just think that they are what what I'm very excited about about it is that they're trying to push into new ground more so than is hinted at even in the first episode. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. And I think something very relatable and I'm I'm pretty sure this is from the first episode uh is is Ted's sort of skepticism at at bringing on a psychiatric professional. Um I think he literally that. I think he literally says that when Higgins first like introduces it he's like what do you have against yeah. it and he's like well just general apprehension and a, a midwestern sense of skepticism. <laughs> right, which uh I get. <laughs> and is is very recognizable and relatable content uh thinking of a, everyone I grew up with. But it um he's he's it's nice because that's that's sort of a an Achilles heel for Ted, who who can often seem very perfect, but an, but a sort of apprehension uh, and mistrust of, of of therapy and therapists um, is is very. Uh, I think it, to what Leo is saying is is going to be something that um, a different set of viewers are going to be able to are going to be able to kind of sink their teeth into and relate to, like watching Ted be like. I don't, I don't know about any of this. I think this is this is probably all hogwash and I, I don't trust I don't understand why I can't help my guys through this. Yeah, and the show sort of smartly sets it up as like Ted has a prior experience with therapy that is sort of based in what was a negative experience, which I think is sort of being being fair that like also not all therapy is the same. It is not every th- therapist or people just like everyone else. And there are good therapists and there are bad therapists and there are different things that happen. And being he, he says that feeling like he felt like being in couples counseling uh, essentially seemed like they were ganging up on him, like the wife and the therapist, which might have been real or it might have been imagined. And that might be something that Dr. Sharon helps him with down the line, that it, they actually weren't trying to attack him and he just couldn't hear what they were trying to say. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I my big takeaway, at least from the first episode is that this this season serving as a gateway to therapy might be the greatest thing Ted Lasso could bring to the world uh, outside of the comedy outside of you know the performances outside of uh you know Roy telling uh Rebecca that she she fucking deserves someone who uh who who makes her feel like she's being struck by lightning (laughs) like those moments are great and, and fantastic and really fun television but like if 10% 10% of the guys who hated therapy or didn't think they could be in, in therapy go to therapy after Ted Lasso. That's a net positive for the world. Like that's like as good as a, as a show could do. And, and yeah, I, the only thing I can say is I really love the monologue after the dog died. I thought that was great. <laughs> that was unreal. Like oh. I, 
unbelievable. That was another, so unfair. Another perfect example of the imbalance, though, because I hated the uh, Trent Krim and then everyone says the Independent because it's like, they're not in on the joke. Like, this is a press yeah, room. Like, they're just coming. Like, this isn't, it doesn't, there was, right, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But then I, the I, I, get, I totally get, the I totally get that, was fantastic. Yeah, I totally get the idea. And I, here's the thing. I don't fault the show for sort of trotting out the greatest hits in the first episode to be like, do you remember Trent Krim from The Independent? Do you remember Goldfish? Remember how Goldfish have a short memory? Do you remember Football is Life? This is you, a streaming service. They know, know people remember, remember. Like, they you, know how people are watching. Do you remember watching. Biscuits? Do you remember how he makes the biscuits every morning? <laughs> um, do you remember how Higgins used to be Higgins and now it's Leslie? Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I totally get that. And I think that's, that's somewhat fair. But I think Jason Sudeikis in that moment after the monologue about the neighbor's dog that, that bit him and made him scared and then he took care of until he had to put the dog down. Uh, fucking broke me. <laughs> Might have broken me the first time I watched it. It's very, uh, it's very good. And I, I, again, like I think a lot of my reviews stemmed from like watching the first episode and then kind of knowing where they were potentially going with, you know, the addition of a sports therapist and um, you know, that, panic attack and in season one i was like if they delve too far into this the show could get too dark it could lose kind of the the buoyancy that's kind of made it addictive and kept people happy and the comedy that you know people undervalue at times when it comes to you know whether it's awards or anything else uh or it could just lean way too hard into its you know own success and become obsessed with it and only dwell on the things that have already worked and it doesn't do either of those things in season two the first episode made me think oh god it might but it doesn't do that so that's what i really admire about it and uh, i think people will be happy even if they're mad that it's coming out once a week actually done and i um i i too have have been graced with a a few more episodes of the show and this isn't a spoiler to say that there were times when I was watching when I a concern would register in my head. I would be like, oh, are they doing this? Because that's, that's pretty predictable. And like, I, I, I expect better from them. Um, multiple times that thought would pop into my head. And every time in the next scene or in the next episode, that concern would be addressed and, and they would take a hard right turn on it um a testament i think to bill lawrence's understanding of television in general and appreciation for the the storytelling norms that we've seen over and over and over again and then the ability to subvert those things while seemingly aiming right at them um Mm -hmm. which after a kind of a season full of tv that didn't want to be tv and had no interest in understanding tv is like is like my ball my 2021 balm um so so i'm very here for ted lasso season two uh if only for that and uh and for everything that you've both said too football in his life okay <laughs> all no. great seasons have to start with a dead dog at least once oh boy 
Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and NDYR. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork Talking About TV and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dan Harris-Brightson. Our publisher is James Israel. And we do not have an executive editor. It could be you. Look for the listing on wherever you look for job listings. Some of our favorite summer Olympic sports include badminton. That's the one that Ben submitted. Uh, Libby <laughs> suggested skateboarding. And I'm going with... The modern pentathlon. That's right. Can you swim? Can you ride a horse? Can you run? Can you fence? Can you shoot a gun? You can maybe. Can I? You can maybe win Olympic gold. Millions of screens strongly endorses the winter Olympic sport of the biathlon, which is just skiing and shooting. The two S's. The James Bond movie. You do a little cross-country skiing, you do a little rifle shooting, win a gold medal. Uh, I will say, I have not watched any three-on-three basketball, but I am intrigued. Oh man, I've seen little snippets of it, and again, I wish I could watch the whole thing, because all those shows people shooting, and it's like, no, I want to see the transitions, because they only do half court, so it's like, I want to see how this actually plays out, and they're like, no, you can't. You can just watch 30 seconds of four people taking individual shots you can find us on twitter at a million screens at midwest fitfire at ben t travers and leo garcia you can also find us on apple podcast spotify google play so leave a review and let us know what you think this is ben libby and leo remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you You shouldn't let poets lie to you ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.